Bueller. 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 podcast where we overanalyze the John Hughes classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off one minute at a time. I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Cope. And we have Brian Green with us one more time. Welcome back, Brian. One more. Well, I know. I don't know why I said it that way because <laughs> I should say once again, we have Brian with us once again. Woo! I'm back. Woo! I know. This is this is like the minute. Like oh. this is the moment that we've all been waiting for. This is one of my favorite minutes of in all of film. Yeah. I really like it. It's so effective. I mean, okay, we should, let's, before we even get to that. <laughs> Today we're talking about minute number 58. Minute 58 starts with uh, with another painting. This one is called, is Matisse's Bathers by a River. And it ends with with a long shot. Uh, I, I wrote it as a deep push into pointillism. Mm-hmm. Because we get a couple of cuts, really good cuts on this painting at the end. That, uh, that we'll talk about. We are so close to getting there. We have a few more first. Let me get there. So we do have this one, Bathers by a River, which is the Matisse. So we cut away from Jackson Pollock, like the tail end of the first second. Uh-huh. And then we have three more Picasso pieces behind this statue. And I don't know the name of the statue, but the the... Oh, no, actually, that's not even true either. Is that the same paintings that they're going to be standing in front of in a second? Which ones? No, it's not. Um, We see there's a moment where Sloan, Ferris, and Cameron are standing in front of three um, paintings. Oh, yes, looking yes. At them. But that's actually later. So I my notes don't even match up with what I'm looking at on the screen. That bums me out. <laughs> this website was not the best one for me to gather notes from. Uh, we'll get to those Picasso pieces. First, we actually see this statue. Rodin's Portrait de, of Balzac, B-A-L-Z-A-K, B-A-L-Z-A-C. And uh, he's got his arms crossed and he looks all proud and kind of haughty. He, and then we cut to the, I like this shot of Ferris and Sloane and Cameron each with their arms crossed, like in that same sort of pose. It, um <laughs> The kind of descending image of the three of them. We use that for our logo. Yeah. I like. The, I particularly like the guy in the black in the background that's also doing that. <laughs> I had But just not like intentionally that. like them. He's like looking the opposite direction completely, like not even, but he's in the exact same pose. And, and I love it. What's so funny about this is for the longest time, I never realized that they were supposed to be mimicking the, 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 the statue. I thought they were mimicking people the way they look at art in the museum i i think they're i i feel like i feel like they're doing the same thing with the 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 statue like the second before it uh i don't know i always assumed they were just kind of like mimicking his pose (laughs) yeah no he totally yeah he they totally are doing that (laughs) but it it does give them this kind of pretentious like i'm appreciating art yeah they're this very goofy, we're appreciating art look on their face and the, their their pose. Uh-huh. I, I I feel like it perfectly balances later on this very profound moment that Cameron has. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so perfect. Uh, it's, I, I love the balance between these two. We're like, oh, 
here we have them being goofy and silly and looking at this this art in this kind of goofy way. And then flash forward to later this minute, which we will get to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that the last minute... I the, the last minute was sort of for us, the viewers, to kind of appreciate the art pieces around the Institute before we get back to the kids um, and the three of them appreciate like standing in front like their kind of reaction to what they're seeing uh-huh we we got a good i mean it was a good like 45 seconds or so of museum stuff before we even see our trio again right and i think that that's interesting so we see them standing in front of that statue and then i i guess i was right we, when we cut again and we see the three of them standing in front of those picassos it is the picassos that we saw at the beginning of the minute on the opposite side of like this other statue uh-huh so now the three of them are kind of each paired up with one. Um, Sloane's in front of the red armchair. A Ferris is in front of portrait of Sylvette David. And Cameron is in front of seated woman. That I, woman... I think it's interesting that the two <laughs> on either side, there are similar kinds of poses. The woman in Cameron's is kind of scary. She looks like a pig. She looks like Miss Piggy. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Damn. Just... There he goes. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> With her overly pink I, I skin and her nose, look at that. <laughs> All right, it's a pig pretending to be a woman. Damn. It's a no. That's mean. It her nose does it. It's she's got a snout. She has a snout. It's he drew her with a snout. The the one on the left that Sloane's looking at. It looks like. The face is looking forward and sideways at the same time. Like, on the right... Yeah, yeah, it's broken up by the yellow to, to purple transition here. So on the side that's, like, painted yellow in the background, if you were just looking at that, it would look like the, the woman is looking, like, out of the frame, like, toward the viewer. But if you just look at the purple half, it actually looks like her face is is looking toward the right-hand side of the frame, like... It's like an like in profile, the the eye and the nose and the mouth coming like looking that way. It's really interesting. Yeah. I just want to go to the. I just want to go here and walk around the museum and just like take this all in. I I highly recommend it. It's oh, it was it was amazing. Beautiful so museum. Good. Don't don't go when I went when it was there was a blizzard essentially. <laughs> I will I will try to avoid any Chicago blizzards. <laughs> and I'm a Texan, and being in Chicago when it was snowing was horrible especially when it would have been in the 80s when i was in 80s in texas yeah yeah oh my goodness leave when it's hot and you get there and it's like snowing it's like what is going on right now that's wild i I don't see how people deal with it (laughs) i grew up in places where it snowed but not a lot never like more than a few inches or so i I lived in illinois for a couple years when i was a kid my dad was in the military so we moved around a lot and I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to live in Illinois for very long, though. <laughs> I, yeah, I think the furthest north I ever lived was, like, Maryland? Delaware? Mm-hmm. Like, that area? Right. I lived in Virginia for a long time. But even when it snowed there, like, we were close enough to the coast that we would get snow for, like, it would last for, like, the day. And then the sun would come out and it would all just be melted by mid-afternoon. Uh-huh. And you'd get, like, four or five inches overnight. It'd be, like, nothing. School would be canceled for that. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, it's been a long time since I've lived anywhere that it snows, though. I lived in San Antonio, and then I don't know, I've been in San Diego for ten years or something. Victoria, we've talked about this. You've never seen snow, huh? Never even seen snow. Victoria's never even seen snow. Wow. 
at yeah, San Diegan through and through. Yep. San Diegan? <laughs> that's, 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 I'm sticking with that. <laughs> that was just me right now. <laughs> Whatever you say, Gary. What, what are people from, what, is there a term for the people San from Diegans. San Diegan? Uh, well, there we go. So I'm not, I'm going to, I am going to stand by that. It just sounds funny. Okay, I think uh, I it's think we should talk Brian about. Brian questioned it and <laughs> threw you off <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I've never heard bit. that term, and it it sounds weird to me. It's a little <laughs> silly. I can't think of a better one though. Yeah, I'm not gonna work on that. Okay, <laughs> I think we could talk. So I think I think we can finally talk about this moment. You oh, guys. thank I think God. we're here. I think we're here. First off, before <laughs> the Gordy Howe jersey. When I went when I was in Chicago over uh, in back in March, uh, there uh-huh. was a guy in a Gordie Howe jersey walking around the museum. I believe it, and I almost mugged him for it, <laughs> so I could get some photos in it. Oh, it'd be so great. It would just be this one. This is the only one I would need. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I still got the photo, but and I'm actually, yeah. I'm kind of amazed that we were able to get it with as few people in it as we did because it was a, it was pretty crowded that day. But we, we made it happen. That's awesome. This uh, this portrait he's standing in front of is called A Sunday Afternoon on the Island of La Grande... Je- is it Jeté? Jet. J-A-T-T-E? Jet. Jet? Yeah. La Grande Jet. By... How do you pronounce this artist's name? I was going to say George, but it's got an S at the end. Is it... Uh, George Surratt. George Surratt. 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 Awesome. Yes. Uh, so there's a... There, there's a if you guys don't know about this, there is a musical uh, based on this painting. It's called Sunday in the oh. Park with George. Oh, I've heard of that, but I don't yeah. think I, I don't know a lot about musicals. I, I've actually never seen the musical, uh, but... That surprises me. Yeah, I've seen honestly, a, Brian. I've seen a lot, <laughs> and, but I have not seen that one. Uh, I have a friend who's, who, who absolutely loves it, and there was a... There was a revival, maybe about six, year, six or seven years ago, of it that used projections that was really cool uh you'll have to watch the video nice. of their tony performance it was really good that's awesome but i really like this painting it oh it's amazing first off it's huge it is like you look at it there and it looks big but when you get there it you're just shocked it, it, it how much space it takes up and which is funny because it's like the exact opposite of how i felt when i saw the mona lisa because the mona lisa is tiny yeah, you when you go when you get to it, you're like, oh, is that it? That's that's as big as it is. Wow. Yeah, but this is just it's giant, and you walk up to it, and you can see just all the little individual points that are that's being amazing made in the painting. Wow. Get to Chicago. It's eighty-one point and... seven inches by a hundred and twenty-one point twenty-five inches. Mm. So it's like seven feet. On one side, on the the like it's seven feet tall and then almost ten feet across. Yep, over ten feet across. Wow! And they're just points, and they're just points. Every little dot is meticulous. How this must have taken forever? It took him two years. The original pixel art. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's so cool. Oh. Surratt was acknowledged as the leader of a new and rebellious form of Impressionism called Neo-Impressionism mm-hmm. uh, after after this. So should we focus on Cameron, or should we go back and forth as it goes back and forth between Cameron um, and Ferris? Oh, man. 
We, so it, okay, so we do cut back and forth with Cam and I, I between Cam and then Ferris and Sloane. Uh huh. And I guess we could mention before we really get into like Cam. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's let's talk about let's talk about um Sloane and Fer- Sloane and Ferris real quick, and then we'll get back to Cameron and All we'll right. like dedicate because this is the rest of the minute basically. Right. So they're in front of um this is called Amer- America's Windows, right? Uh huh. America Windows. America Windows. It's it's really it's really cool. I love stained glass. Me too. It. Uh, it looks incredible. So in the museum, I I always assumed that they had to light that had to backlight this. They they just had some lights behind it that lit it. But actually, the back of this faces the window of the museum. And oh, so, so this is actually a a stained glass window in the building. It's not an actual stained glass because uh, you can actually well you can. There's actually space behind the stained glass okay. between that oh. and the actual window of the museum. Okay. So there's still it's still being lit naturally, but there is a, a bit of space between it and like the, another buffer. Okay. Right. That makes sense. So it uh, doesn't just open out into the out outside. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you'd want to preserve it, so you wouldn't want to do that. Right. Yeah, you definitely wouldn't want someone to be able to break those. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh man, it's so nice though. But yeah, so this is actually three it's cool pieces. That that's though. how they light it. Uh, they're actually okay. yeah, they're actually three pieces to this. Uh, so this one, oh, let's see, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the piece right now, like the full set. Sure. Uh, this is the the piece there in front of is actually the one that's right in the middle, and then there there's maybe about a foot or two in between each set, and okay, they're, they're right in the middle of the whole thing, and the it, like yeah, like I said, there are a few feet between it and the next next piece to the left and the right of it. I, I love this moment, though, because Ferris has already proposed to, to Sloane yeah. in this movie, and this looks like a damn wedding. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's very, um, yeah, these, this definitely, these could be, like, like, wedding photos. Right. Uh, uh, the two of them in front of it, like, this pat, it's a, it's a, it's actually, like, a genuinely passionate moment between the two of them, which we haven't really seen yet. Right. It, what's funny about it, what's odd about it to me is that uh, Ferris proposed to her earlier in the movie. She said, you're crazy. You know, we, I'm not going to get married. It's not going to happen. And now they're having this beautiful romantic moment. They kiss. It looks like they're in a church right here getting married. And then yeah. later on, she says, I'm going to marry him. She put. He... Do you think that this mo? So this is this is like the moment. I think that she kind of realizes. Like it's. It was almost earlier when we talked about his proposal. We we sort of talked about it with this sense of like it's almost as if he's messing, not messing with her, but it it's hard to know just how serious he is about this. Like about that proposal, <sighs> he kind of pushes it today. She's like, I'm not getting married. And it's it's a it's it's a more <laughs> playful sort of thing, but I think now like this they you're right like they're sharing this passionate moment they're in this like really kind of beautiful space, and I think it is sort of a realization of like no like, I think he would marry her, and and I think that she under like I think that she she believes it so that later when she does see him leave she's like oh like he's gonna marry me, mm-hmm. uh, and I think I think it's really I think it's really cute. I, I I honestly think that he almost feels that he has to lock her down because later on he exp- 
like when he's talking directly to the camera, he expresses his concerns about their relationship when he go when he graduates and she's yeah. still in school. And so he's an even bigger problem. Right, exactly. And so he's feeling like, oh, he has to put this idea into her head that this is going somewhere. And him proposing and then this beautiful moment in front of the stained glass. And he's almost implanting this idea into her head. I don't know. That that totally changes how I feel about this. (laughs) He's like inceptioning her. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, it's kind of sad. Yeah, I totally forgot about that moment later when he is kind of confessing that, like, his doubt to the camera. And yeah. uh, it almost makes this feel more more somber. Like, this this is this is the end of... This could, This is near the end of their relationship if after, after summer he's going off to college and he doesn't think that they're going to see each other. Right. Aw. That's sad. You made me sad, Brian. Uh, that's what I do. <laughs> You you do a lot this week, we've discovered. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. As a kid, it's weird because, like, as a kid, I feel like I definitely identify with, like, with, like, the kid in, in Princess Bride. Like, is this a kissing boot? Like, book? Like, uh, <laughs> and, and, but I was never, like, put off by this sequence. Like, I think maybe it's because it cuts from this back to Cameron. And so there, it's an emotional moment on two very different beats. Right. I think that it is a really tender moment between the two of them. And then we'll cut back. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of Cameron here kind of staring at the painting and then we cut back to himself. I like the cuts between, we should get back to Cameron. I like the cuts between the, the portrait and cam. It's, it's perfect. It's so good. It, 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 John Hughes is saying so much without any dialogue here. I think it's really, we get a lot of, like, what Cam must, like, is thinking. They are standing in front of this painting, and he's looking at it, and he's looking closer and closer and closer until you get, when you get to the depth of it, there's nothing there. It's just dots on a blank canvas. Right. And at the same time, we're cutting, we're pushing closer and closer and closer to Cameron, and, like, deep down, like, what is, like... Is there anything there? Is there any substance to him? Like, I think there's like a doubt of like, it's almost this existential sort of who am I moment for him. Oh, yeah. Cameron is such an introspective person. He thinks about everything he does 100%, you know, 150% while his best friends are so are do everything on a whim and they they run off and do something impulsively while he is constantly rethinking his actions and so and him looking at this this little girl that specifically that we're focusing on if you zoom back Mm -hmm. out on this painting really you can tell it it looks like with a couple very a couple of exceptions this is the only person in this painting who is facing this direction yeah so this little girl is facing Facing out to its to the audience of the painting, while everyone else is either looking out to the uh, looking out to the ocean or the the waterfront, and he is looking at him, looking at this child and seeing himself in this child. But then, when you get closer and closer, that child is just dots on a dots yeah. on a canvas, and he he doesn't he wants. To be more than that. He wants to be more than dots on a canvas. 
and it, it's haunting. It, it it's just this haunting moment between him and this painting with no dialogue. It doesn't need doesn't need to tell you anything about what's going on in his head. You see it all on his face. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And the music in the background still is just so like the it all comes together really nicely. I just yeah. want to keep watch. I just want to like watch and just like take it in. I feel silly pausing on this picture of Cameron's face. So get really <laughs> close, just his eyes. It's so it's so amazing. I just imagine for like Alan Ruck, like the this particular bit of filming where he's like staring into like not into the camera, but the camera is pushing in really really close on him, and there's so much going on on his face, even though he's. I don't want to say expressionless, but it's all just in like his eyes and just like the way as we push real close, you see just his eyes kind of, and I don't want to say twitching, but just like, yeah, I just want to say taking it in. Like, I can't think of a better way to, to describe it. He looks, he looks sad and terrified, but empowered all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much happening in, in this expression, in this moment. It's so good. Alan Ruck does such a great job. I identify with him so hard in this. Oh, like, there's I'm... so many moments, especially here, just the, like, kind of self-critiquing and the sort of, like, who am I sort of thing. Uh-huh. It's heavy and beautiful. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, when I was when I was younger, when I was maybe middle school, early high school, I, I identified a lot with Cameron and then there was a point in my and when i moved I, I moved from one school to another i made this active decision to kind of you know reinvent myself and become and, and bring out the the ferris in me and okay. uh, so i became more outgoing i became more impulsive i became this person who cared less could not care less about what other people thought and just did things the way I wanted to do things. It's so it's funny looking back because more, I feel like most people who know me, who know me would look at me. Oh, you're more of a Ferris, but there's still so much of that Cameron in me. And when I was, when I was a freshman, eighth grade, seventh grade, I was so much Cameron because, because I was a little neurotic and I, I'm still neurotic to this day, but you know, uh, (laughs) but I, I see myself so much of myself in both of these characters. That's really that's really fascinating. I I I mean I mentioned I mean already this week that I moved a lot growing up, but like I never I was never able to really reinvent myself that way. Every time that I went to a new school and I thought like oh it's gonna be I'm gonna be different and I'm gonna like behaved I just I could never maintain that, and so I feel like. I feel like I always identified with Cameron more than Ferris, even though now I especially like having having been doing the podcast and having this more like more of an outlet. I do feel like more outspoken than I did as a kid, Uh but I still feel like fundamentally like nothing has changed. I don't know. I always I've talked to people about this and and I I feel I, I feels almost silly that like idea of like people that say like, oh, I've changed so much since I was a kid. Like, I don't I don't feel that. That's that's so foreign to me. And I don't I don't know. Like I know that there are like things that are easier for me now. 
but I don't feel like different in any necessarily way. I don't feel like I lean closer toward any character than I than I than I did before. I haven't become like more Ferris. I just right. It's not that I become more Ferris. I just I, I guess I'm embracing the Ferris inside of me. Yeah, more. yeah. That under- I understand that. That makes sense. I definitely think that for writing this, that like John Hughes is def has said in the commentary track. I think a few times that he feels like both of these characters are just like that that he embodies the two of well i mean i guess it makes sense being the one writing the the thing that you put yourself in everybody but like the two halves of himself is how he sees it too which i like how about you victoria yeah how about you victoria <clears throat> what <laughs> do you do you, do i do you feel like you identify more with with cameron have you tried to like change who you were growing up did you ever like well i mean we've talked about you've had like phases in high school i guess um i guess i always had a hard time trying to find myself because i i feel that i tend to pretend a lot and make myself out to what everyone wants for me to be so Mm. as to not be alone oh so if i wanted to be in a particular group of people or i wanted to be a friend with a certain person and I've already, like, in my mind has determined that this is who I want to be a friend with or try to be a friend with this group or this person, then I'll uh, go out of my way to say I like the things they like and want to do the things they You're not they pretending do. to be my friend, right? Uh, I think as an adult, I've, I've gotten to a point where I, I realize that I don't care. Okay. And that I like being alone, so... If I'm alone, then I don't mind it. And if I have a friend, then that's cool too. Sure. Well, I think I think I think us podcasting together has really allowed both of us to kind of put a, a lot more of ourselves out there than we normally would. Right. And I think it's interesting because we get to connect with people in a different sort of way. Um, it's more. I feel like it's more authentic because for us, while we record, it feels like it's just us. Mm-hmm. And then we're sharing that. Like the, I, th- I feel like that's like the most authentic of us that, that we can be versus like those people that are like on Instagram or, or, or whatever that are just posting like the best, the things that, that show their best of right. themselves, right? Like right. It's, it's more like filtered. It's, it's why I get weird, weirded out when I see people talking about me in comments. It's, oh, when, when you not, get met. It's, <laughs> uh, uh, it's, not, it's not like how Scott puts it, like, oh, like uh, you're in a public eye. Like, you're going to be uh, someone that talks about. I'm like, no, I understand that. But then it still, like, dawns on me that it's like, oh. Like, there are people listening. There's people listening. Yeah. And it's just, like, it's, it's kind of weird to me because... I never think what I have to say is worth anything. So, so it's kind. Of, so it's kind of weird. It's and like, yet, oh. podcasting was your idea. I know. <laughs> I love it. I know. I love it. I'm glad that I feel like we've come a long way. I always. I still feel like we're. I think both of we're both the Cameron. But again, there's <laughs> even like, did I did I suggest that to you? Because I wanted to start a podcast, or because I wanted to be your friend, and I figured this. Is and you've just been pretending it. for for five years that you're interested in podcasts right. and, and recording. Because, oh, I feel like it's I feel like it's more authentic than that. <laughs> I think I would know by now if you've been playing me this whole time, <laughs> being the worst. This got really heavy. I mean, I guess it makes sense for the minute. I like I'm this. The, I'm the me. Me and Ricky were having a conversation about like. Uh, character like cartoon characters and and comparing uh, personalities oh oh sorry 
in in comparing personalities of female characters and like shows like, uh-huh. like Meg and Haley and like those teenage female characters in which people don't seem to know how to write for them and everything. Sure. And he was saying how mopey Meg is. And I was like, well, I mean, I go, I am, I was Meg. I go, I was the girl that people thought was mopey. I was mopey. I was emo. I was goth, whatever you want to call it. Like I was the Daria, like everything like that. And I go, I was like, I know how that feels. And it's, it's whatever. I mean, there's nothing bad about it. You, she may, that person may look outwardly mopey, but you know, talk to talk. There's to like her. a depth there. Talk to her. There's, well, yeah. there's something going on. You know. I've always, I've always. I mean, I've said this multiple times on the show, but I've always felt that like people are more like Cameron and want to be more like Ferris. For me, that's always been me. I've always felt like Cameron, and I've always like sort of aspired to be more like Ferris, even if I haven't necessarily taken a lot of steps in that direction. I mean, I've tried a lot of things to get myself to uh, be more out there. I took speech therapy i took public speaking i took uh i was in drama like i did a lot of things i did monologue competitions i did a lot of things to try to make myself go out there so i can be seen and heard and 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 whatever and it's always just very very uh weird to me i remember my first audition i asked if i could audition with my back turned towards the audience oh that's hardcore because it's just it's just very odd for me to be looked at i don't i don't it's yeah i never i was never good at like public speaking i didn't ever do theater like just the thought of being like in front of people is super daunting even now like if i have if i if i was like taking a class where i had to like get up in front of the class and do a speech like i get so nervous and it's weird because I can sit down and record with you and, and or for whatever and, ta- and and know that people are listening and are at least interested. But it's different when it's like a closed setting, I think. I mean, people choose to listen to our podcasts. No one's choosing to listen to me get up in front and lecture about whatever the hell we're studying in class right now. Right. Right. I don't want to bore anybody. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I feel uh, I feel like this was a good minute. How do you feel, Brian? Oh, it's a great minute. I was worried that we lost you for a second. This is all Brian's fault. He had to ask me questions. No, it was a good question. It was good. It was good. I'm excited for this. People don't address me. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's worth it. I'm an I'm an observer. We get good conversations here. I'm a silent partner. No, you're not. (laughs) If you were a silent partner, then there'd be no point to this. I couldn't. That'd be true. (laughs) You're you're very right. (laughs) <laughs> we can't be Penn and Taylor, the Penn and Taylor of podcasting. Yeah, that doesn't work. Because <laughs> essentially, you wouldn't necessarily need that other person no. to be to be there. <laughs> no, um, it'd be really silly. Okay, okay. Um, thank you everyone for listening to Ferris Bueller's Minute Off. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com and on iTunes. Uh, go find Ferris Bueller Minute on iTunes and give us a five star rating and review because that means other people can find the show. And uh, come back tomorrow for minute 59 of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Donkey Show.